I'm excited about this week. We've been um, on a journey these last couple weeks talking uh, through anxiety. And um, it's been good. It's been, it's been good for me as I've sort of learned more about myself and my maybe response to saying, I might have some more anxious feelings than I may have originally thought about me. Uh, and so that's been good, and, and I know that it's been good for you too. So this week I thought it would be sort of interesting and fun um, to sort of talk about a little bit more in depth of our brains, the way they work and operate, the way that our um, thoughts and feelings really contribute to our behaviors, and how ne they don't necessarily have to <laughs> in the way that we think. Uh, and so uh, part of the reason I, I wanted to, to, you don't see a teaching table up, is because I'd like to invite our good friend, Jody Cole Meyer, to the stage. Please give it up for Jody. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm nice. glad that you're here. Uh, she's been actually helping me through the anxiety um, series anyway. I've been sitting down uh, over coffee with her and just chatting about, like, making sure that we get this right. I was always fearful that sometimes, as I've said, in the Christian community, we just, it, it comes down to people walking away feeling guilt and shame about the way that they feel because they just don't believe enough or their, you know, their faith isn't strong enough. And, um, you know, no, <laughs> that's not the case at all. And so Jody's been helping us through that. And I thought it'd be fun to just chat with her because God is sovereign over all things. We don't separate our brains between uh, that and like how we think about things theologically. They're, they're, they're the same because they're interwoven because the God of the universe is the God that created us. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He created you. He created our brains and the way we think and the structures and all the science that we talk about behind those things. Jesus. So uh, we're not going to separate the two, and I don't want to separate the two today. And so, Jody, why don't you have a seat? Thank you. So I just thought it'd be fun more to just have like a, an interview style a little bit, where she's going to do far more of the talking than I am. Uh, so we gave her the fancy mic, because she uses her hands a lot. So get ready for that. <laughs> hopefully it won't be distracting. Right, hopefully. Um, but I just wanted to, to start off first, just to let people know a little bit of your background. So, because everybody sort of was excited for you that you are the new uh, executive director of Love, Inc. Yes. And what did you do before that? What qualifies you to have this conversation <laughs> with me today? Um, well, probably what qualifies me is uh, some education. I have a master's degree in uh, clinical psychology and I'm a licensed, a limited licensed psychologist. Um, so I've spent five years doing private practice, plus I've been in therapy myself. And I think those two things um, contribute equally to how I understand thoughts and behaviors and feelings. That's good. I think it's one of those things where sometimes like when I show up to like a Bible study now, it's really interesting since becoming, having a label as pastor, I all of a sudden carry more authority with me just by a title that I carry. And I think in some ways that that's true and good. And I think that's true, definitely true uh, for this. It's like, you know what you're talking about. Well, you end up being the last voice in a conversation. And that's not always great. Sometimes you want people right. to come back, but they're like, oh, that's the answer. So, and we want to speak to our own experiences too. And so uh, what I kind of wanted to tackle today and what we talked about is how do our thoughts, our kind of our thought life, our thought patterns have to do with anxiety that they either seem to ramp them up or we can, you know, cool them off a little bit. Explain a little bit how that works. <laughs> okay. I know it's a, That's big, a, it's a big question, but you um, know. So there, there are three things really that we want to talk about. We want to talk about our feelings and our thoughts and our behaviors. And those things all influence each other. 
So our thoughts can have a big influence on our behaviors because something will pop into our head and we'll say, well, I have to do that. So that can influence your behavior. Uh, you can also use thoughts to influence your feelings and think, oh, I shouldn't feel that way. That's shameful to feel that way. So that can influence how you feel. Um, feelings influence behaviors. Um, we can often think that whatever feeling we have, there's an automatic response. If I get angry, I've, I have to hit something. Um, and behaviors also impact both your thoughts and your feelings. So how we behave repeatedly can have an effect on your thoughts um, by repeated actions will definitely bring thoughts into your head or um, solidify thoughts in your head. And you can also affect um, your behaviors. I think I already said that. All right. So we've got this triangle. Um, and the interesting thing is we think, we kind of come in with an assumption that if something pops into our head, if a thought pops into our head, that says something true about us. Feelings should be controlled, and behaviors are really just an outgrowth of the other two that we can't do. And the truth is that our feelings are true, and we need to let them be the feelings. Feelings are protective. They protect us from um, all sorts of things. Fear protects us from, you know, oncoming lions or cars, depending on where you're <laughs> situated. Um, Disgust protects us from either eating spoiled meat or hanging around with people who are doing things that will hurt you. Um, anger gives us energy that we need in certain situations. Sadness is really important for us to understand our connection with other people. The only emotion... How many of you have seen Inside Out? Just recently. I just okay. watched it. So it was my homework. I usually carry around all my little... <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, all my little emotions. Um, the only one that's not protective is joy. That is the only emotion that is not designed to protect you. So when you have feelings, it's important to let them be the feelings, to find out what they're there for. It doesn't mean that we have to act on them. So just because you feel some fear doesn't mean that you shouldn't do the thing. Um, I don't know about you, but every time I'm going to stand up in front of somebody or sit down of somebody and talk, get a little pity. I get a little <laughs> anxious. Um, those, those body systems are geared to make me better in front of people. I don't want to not do it, but I do want to respect that my body is gearing up for that. So um, what often happens, and we do this, and my dear daughter is here, so she's heard me say some of these things, is we're kind of taught to push our emotions down. You don't have to be sad about that. There's nothing to be sad about. You don't have to be afraid. God will take care of it. Um, we're really good at saying you shouldn't feel things, which adds a really nice layer of guilt when we have real emotions. And emotions are protective. So instead of controlling our feelings, which we try to do, and believing that our thoughts are valid and true, what we can do is realize that our thoughts are far more impacted by the world around us, by our, our um, society, by what we've read lately, by um, how we grew up, by how our body is feeling. I, can I do a little thought thing? You can do it. I can control. control your thoughts. I can tell you exactly what you're going to be thinking in six seconds. 
because I'm that powerful. I can tell you what word is going to be in your head in two seconds. Mary had a little... Lamb. Yeah. Any of you not think lamb? No, because that's what we know. But that's a thought, and I can make that thought pop up in you like that. It's not because I have mind control. It's because that's how <laughs> thoughts work. Thoughts are very responsive to the world around us. So um, thoughts can also be kind of damaging. Mm -hmm. We can come up with thoughts like, um, I can't do this, or um, I'm not worth enough, or even simpler things like, um, I have to stop at McDonald's on my way home because even though I'm on, di on a diet, I just can't do it today. I, I need a cigarette, I need a donut, I need a drink. All of those are thoughts. And what's interesting is we often don't think that we can let that thought be just a thought. We think that, no, that's somehow more true about me than anything else. So um, I dove way deep well, into Well, no, it's good, because I think we, sometimes, yeah, when, our thought, when we have thoughts that pop up, I think sometimes we, it's, it's this indicator to us that that's, it's telling us we should go do that, or we should, um, even in, I feel like in our Christian world, if I, we pray about things, right, and I, um, when I have these thoughts of, I think I should do this or that, then sometimes I can even attribute that to the Holy Spirit saying, I need to move in that direction, and, and sometimes you said a thought's just a thought because we're conditioned by our culture to think that, and then we can also lean into, like, our beliefs, like, how do our beliefs play into that as well? And all three of those, the behaviors, your emotions and your thoughts feed into your beliefs. Because belief is something that um, you have put thoughts together and responded to emotions to change your behavior in some way or another. And a lot of times our, thought, our beliefs don't actually change our behavior very much, which can be a little frustrating. Um, so I would argue that they're not really beliefs then. They're aspirational beliefs, they're what we'd like to believe. I've got a, um, so, I am a person of size. I am not willowy. I don't care how much <laughs> I don't care how much weight I lose. I will never be willowy. So that's not my body type. But I can find myself being very judgmental of um, models who are not typical. And I that thought pops into my mind that wow, they're a little little thick around the, the hips. And and I am appalled at that. And I'm ashamed of that thought until, and you're going to love this, I read a Facebook post, and so I should have said I'm qualified to talk because school and therapy and Facebook. But um, somebody said, and I, I will get it wrong, my grandma told me that the first thought that pops into your head is society, you can't really control it. The second thought that comes is much closer to what you believe. And I do believe with all my heart that people of all different shapes can be beautiful. And I act that way. But that doesn't mean that first thought is that way. It's been conditioned. It's been conditioned. Oh, interesting. And so we can often feel a lot of guilt. I felt a terrible amount of guilt about that first response and until um, my therapist in one case said, but did you act on that thought? I said, no. She goes, then you don't believe it then that's not your belief pattern. So we get really tied up in this idea that the first thought 
is either sinful or wrong. And the first thought is bodily and societally conditioned, which should be good news to any adolescent boys or former adolescent boys. <laughs> fair. It's fair and true. It's okay. Because um, we, we conflate an impure thought with lust or an angry thought with hatred, but both hatred and lust are actions. What we do with our thoughts falls into a brokenness category. Um, but we don't have to take those thoughts as um, truths about ourselves or sometimes truths about God. Well, that's the interesting thing. So I was having a conversation actually this week um, with somebody that was waiting for test results, right? It was one of those, it was fa felt fairly routine, but there's always that like, ah, but I had to go back in, right? And so then this conversation led us to, um, so now I see all these things that are popping up, whether it's because it's my devotions or because I've been scrolling and even with this anxiety stuff, cast all your cares upon him and, um, you know, do not fear uh, for I will be with you. All those things that she was saying, I, I know, but she was questioning her belief in them um, and almost felt like I, those are things I desperately want to believe, but I feel like in those moments that I must not have belief because I was still worried. I was still, I still had anxious feelings about that. How, do, how, does, how does maybe our own Christian faith and culture help and sometimes hurt? Because I, I felt a lot of underlying guilt and maybe some shame for not believing in those truths that the Bible clearly says for us. Do not be afraid. Yeah, that's the most common command in the Bible, right? More than anything else, don't, don't be afraid, don't fear. Um, I think what we have to separate out is the idea that the emotion fear is the same as the con contemplative mm -hmm. fear or the action of fearing or pouring yourself into those thoughts um, or adding the thoughts onto the fear. Fear, like every other emotion, 100% of the time comes and then it leaves. It's true of every emotion you've ever had. And I think all of us have been in those places where um, either a feeling of dread or overwhelming sadness or fear, mm -hmm. and we feel like you're stuck there and that, you, and that you have to fight it off, you have to push it away. But none of you are still there. None of us stay in an emotion if we let it go, if we name it, experience it, and then let it go. So your friend was scared. There is, um, there is a protective thing. She feels like there is something attacking her body or might be something attacking mm -hmm. her body that's protective. Um, what, what we, where we get into the place of belief versus that is when we say, I can't be scared. I can't be scared. There's, that's terrible. No reason to feel there's no that reason, way. There's no reason to fear. Um, but there is, right? There's reason to fear. There's not reason to question God's ability to care for you. Mm. But I don't, cancer or whatever, yeah. whatever it is, we're going to feel some fear. When we push that emotion down and we reject it and we say, I shouldn't feel that way, and we add a layer of guilt or shame on that. Um, and I talk a lot in metaphors because that's the only way to talk about emotions. It's the only way to talk <laughs> about all of this stuff. But it's like we push it down. 
we take that feeling, we shove it down a little bit until we can breathe, shove it down below where we need to breathe. But when that feeling is down there, it's, uh, it's meeting up some of the other emotions that you've pushed down before, and they're giving each other high fives and saying, yes, we're about to take over. Um, they, they build up, and they gang up, and they start deciding how you behave. And so, a, an experience of fear doesn't mean that you don't trust God. It means that you have an emotion. Where your faith comes in is whether you can give that fear to God and say, I am feeling this. I believe you made me to feel fear. I believe that this is how I was created. And I believe that you don't reject that. Mm -hmm. That you love how I was made. God gave us all the emotions. These are, these are how our body works. When we do that, that's how we follow the, the command to do not fear, is to say, I do feel my fear. I understand it. And I say that I'm not alone in it. I say that you can take it, that it's, this is your burden as I'm going through this. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, so it's this idea that, yeah, the fear, we don't have to own our fear, or let our fear control our behaviors. We don't have to operate out of that. But that's really difficult. It is. <laughs> it is. You know, the stuff that sometimes we can, when we talk about it, it can sound like, oh, yeah, no big deal. My behaviors don't have to control me, right? <laughs> or my thoughts don't right. have to control my behaviors right. or all of this stuff. Um, and it can be really to any time you tell somebody not to think about something. Right. Yeah. We do that with kids, right? Yeah. Honey, don't cry. Right? That's, that's, I remember saying that even like to little, like, you don't need to cry about that. I guess I there's, oh, should be allowed to. Now I feel bad about it. Retroactively, I feel bad. Oh, I've got 18 years of <laughs> apologies to make um, about telling my kids there's nothing to be scared of. Well, that's not true. There's stuff to be scared of, and God stands right with us in the fear. And what was really funny is I always told my kids when they would fall and skin their knee, I'm like, honey, it's just, it's, you just skinned your knee, it's okay. And then I fell and skinned my knee. <sighs> it hurt. It hurt so bad <laughs> for a week. So Delaney, I'm sorry. <laughs> public uh, apologies. <laughs> yes, public apologies. So this idea that um, we have to let go of some thoughts. Sometimes our thoughts push us into behaviors that we don't want them to. Some thoughts push us into shaming behaviors. Some thoughts push us into other things. But if you can look at your thought and say, huh, that's a thought, instead of, oh, I can't believe I thought that, that can be really helpful. Um, I have a trick that I do with myself because I am subject to circling thoughts, thoughts that keep coming around, keep coming around. Me too. Keep coming around, keep coming around, yeah. That's, that's in many ways what anxiety is. Can't let go of the thought. Um, and there are lots of different ways. People will say, picture it on a bubble and pop it, let it go. I always type mine out in typewriter font on a white piece of paper and watch it depixelate, which is a weird mixed metaphor because I'm from old school typewriters to pixels. But I just watch it dissolve. Um, there, once you... We call it defusing. Once you defuse from your thought, and you don't say, my thought is me, but I am having a thought, that thought becomes much less threatening. It's just 
a thought. But there are thoughts that run our lives because we don't realize that it's just a thought. Well, it's difficult because I think so often some of our thoughts and the things that we go through and the things that maybe we're we're, we're struggling with in that moment, and some of those are thoughts of, I hear time and time again of um, a feeling just of, of worthiness or of unworthiness, of not being enough, I feel like is pervasive, or when you're going through um, some sort of difficulty, right, then it's like I've caught, like I've done something to cause this, and maybe, maybe there has been some causation, but then their, their, their faith starts to almost like a Jenga piece. If that gets pulled out, the whole thing is going to topple. Why do, we, why do we do that and how do we stop ourselves from getting in that mindset in the first place? Well, I think that sometimes we expect not to feel bad. We expect to not have hard feelings. We expect, or, or the story that we tell is that if I am feeling any of the negative emotions, if I'm feeling fear, if I'm feeling disgust, if I'm feeling those ways, then I am somehow not doing it right. But those are all emotions that Jesus had, and Jesus was doing it right. He felt sadness, he felt anger, he felt disgust, he felt fear. Then his um, prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he was crucified, is startling in the raw emotions that pour out from him. Please take this away from me. I don't want to do this. This is too much. Um, so it's not a matter of avoiding pain. Mm -hmm. and, and this is a Buddhist principle, but I believe God is in it. Pain is inevitable and suffering is voluntary. That if we are going to be alive on this earth, we are going to feel pain we are also going to cause pain. If, you're, if you are in a relationship with somebody, there will come a point at which you cause pain, at which you feel pain. Living in a broken world means that we are going to feel pain. But the same thing is true about pain as, as is about emotions, is that feeling doesn't stay forever. We don't stay in pain. Here's what happens, though. We can't avoid pain. Pain will move through us. But we try so hard to avoid pain that we throw everything else out of whack. For instance, I have a kind of a cruddy knee. And so every once in a while, it hurts. And I start limping. And pretty soon, this, this is a bad knee, pretty soon this hip is sore because I'm trying so hard not to put weight on this knee. And then my back ends up being out. And then my neck and I am a mess. And here's the thing. My knee doesn't hurt any less. I have not avoided pain. I have just added tons of suffering. And we do that with people. We don't want to be, we don't want to feel the pain of loneliness. And so we think that if we push people away, or if we... Um, act in a certain way or if we cut down other people, it will somehow diminish that pain of loneliness that we are afraid we will feel if people reject us. We still feel the pain. Mm -hmm. We have just added suffering around it. So I think we have to say there are times when I'm going to feel bad. And that's, that's the hard part, right? Yeah. We want to avoid it. It's something that we actively try to do. I know that even as, as I 
walk with people, and maybe the younger I was, I, I even would, would do it more, it was that I want to take it from them. Mm-hmm. I want them to not go through it. I think parents uh, automatically have that for children. People that you love and care about, I want to take it from you. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's important for us to go through it. And it's not, what I'm hearing you kind of say as a theme maybe is that being self-aware is a really important value and maybe one that we should hold a little higher in Christian circles as maybe a spiritual discipline of being yes. self-aware and how, and how, we're, uh, how we think and feel in response to the world around us, in response to our, our feelings or our thoughts that are just for a moment that are, could be fleeting. Um, how, do we, how, do, how can we train that in, in, in ourselves of, of becoming more self-aware? The verse, search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Psalm 52? Yes. Do we really think God doesn't know our heart? Did, did David think God didn't know his heart? That search me and know my heart is what we do in the presence of God so that we can um, understand and pay attention to, pay attention to the emotions that we're having, pay attention to the beliefs that we have based on our behaviors, to acknowledge pain, to acknowledge um, brokenness, and to just hold that open um, and realize that all of that is not us. We are loved by God. Mm-hmm. We are, um, the fact that we can have thoughts, have emotions, and have behaviors, I mean, none of those are us. They're things that we have. That there's an essential being that God loves and adores and he is not afraid to look at your heart. And we don't have to be either. We can look at those things um, in the presence of God and not have them be overwhelming. That's where I feel like the hope comes in, right? In all yeah. these things, it's like, yes, 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 but. Yeah. Um, yes. What? <laughs> Sorry, I got, I got one last question that I just kind of want to, as we've talked about all these things, and it's good to know, and I'm, I'm glad. What are some things that we can do um, that are like a practice. So in, you know, if I talk spiritual disciplines, one of the, the things that we could talk about is just Sabbath rest. Sometimes the way that things work the best is when you unplug them and then wait a few minutes and plug them back in. <laughs> and I feel like that's what rest is for us and, and how, how we do that and how sometimes we can unplug and spend time in prayer and, and, and those kinds of things. But what are other things that we can do that, especially maybe when we have um, these thoughts and feelings that are popping up and starting to feel overwhelming because I think that's the thing. They sort of clamor for attention mm-hmm. and that's when we get sort of this, I'm, I'm being sucked into that and I can't seem to stop myself. So last week you used the tug of war metaphor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just, I wonder where I got that. I wonder where you got that. Jody. <laughs> <laughs> but the idea of letting go is really important and not easy, but to stop trying to kill the anxiety. Stop trying to pull it into the pit of doom. Don't engage it that much. So let things yell at you from far away, and you know you can make a funny face at them, you can do whatever you want. But just to, um, again, disconnect yourself from it. Recognize it. Say, I see it over there. Diffuse it a little bit. So instead of saying, I have anxiety or I am anxious, Say, yeah, anxiety is something that bugs me sometimes. Little brain, and this again is a metaphor for those brain scientists out there. Um, we've got kind of three levels to our brain. We have this reptile. You actually said you have a reptile brain. 
Yeah, it was freaking. I know it's just freaking me out. I just want to say we have a reptile (laughs) brain, and I wasn't sure how to feel about that. But then this made me feel a little bit better. It's the same as as all all creatures, and it is the part of our brain that keeps our bodies functioning. It inflates our lungs. It controls the muscles that circulate blood through our veins. It's it's the thing that keeps us alive, and it will always suck as much energy as it needs to do that. It's not going to let your heart stop beating because you're worried about something else, right? So that part of your brain is always going to suck all the information or all the energy that it needs. Second part is your safety brain, and it's all of your senses. It's what you see and feel and hear and taste and smell. And that is the part of your brain that keeps you situated in a safe environment. We have to be able to see oncoming traffic. We need to be able to hear when there's a lion creeping up on us. Uh, And the top part of your brain is kind of the abstract thought. It's how we make decisions, how we go there. So your brain is on these tiered things, and it's always going to funnel energy to the place that you need it the most. So we don't have to worry about our lower brain. But if that top part of your brain is going crazy, and you've got thoughts that won't stop and you can't let it go because meditation seems crazy to you, like empty your mind, like as if I could do that. I, I don't know anybody who can. But we can suck energy back to the middle part of our brain. Our middle, the middle part of our brain is going to um, take energy away from here when it needs it which is why sometimes you get kind of stupid when you're exhausted or you're trying to do something. <laughs> I, had, I did a, a run for Camp Roger, and I am great at um, putting letters that... I can't... Now I can't now think I of see, it. You're doing it right now. stupid. Um, at uh, arranging letters into anagrams and stuff. It's one of my weird abilities. But I had just run and was overwhelmed with a lot of stuff that I was really not in shape to do, and I could not do it. I got really stupid. Um, But in a way, we want to get a little stupid. We want to pull energy up from the top of your brain. And you can do that by engaging your senses. Um, One of the, a great hack for anxiety is to carry peppermints. And uh, if you focus attention on a strong taste sensation, it can lower your racing thoughts. that's, a, that's for pretty low-level anxiety, and it's, a good, it's good to pop that early on. But there are other ways that we can truly engage our senses, and this is part of a practice called mindfulness, which I'm sure you have heard of because everybody's talking about mindfulness. I don't know. Sounds pretty new-agey. It is totally <laughs> based on what God built our brains to be. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, but by focusing on what you see and what you hear, what you smell, what you feel, it can pull energy away from that part of your brain. So I'm going to teach you my favorite mindfulness. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to teach you my main favorite mindfulness exercise, and I'm going to tell you a little bit that um, if you struggle with uh, anxious thoughts, if there are times when you have a hard time quieting yourself, this is a great, it can be done in 30 seconds or less. It's um, helpful to do it when you're feeling calm, and then it will be more effective when you're feeling anxious, the more you do it on a routine manner, the better it will be at pulling you back there. So um, get a little comfortable. You can close your eyes. You cannot close your eyes. It's up to you. 
I want you to take a deep breath in through your nose. Exhale through your mouth. One more in through your nose. Exhale through your mouth. And open your eyes, or if your eyes are open, find something that you can see, that you can really pour your attention into. So I'm looking at the same thing you're probably looking at, that anxiety with all the pixelated stuff. I see chilly things back there. And I see cinnamon rolls. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Close your eyes. Breathe in. This time, really concentrate on what the air feels like going in your nose. Exhale through your mouth, really paying attention to what the air feels like on your lips. This time, breathe in. Pay attention to your lungs expanding. Exhale through your mouth, feel those lungs deflating. Find three things that you can hear. You can hear kids. Lights, and there's something blowing up here. All right. Inhale through your nose. Exhale through your mouth. And find three things that you feel. It can be emotion or physical. So I can feel where the edge of my, the stool hits my leg. I can feel kind of a tightness in my back. And I feel my waistband. I should probably get loose your pants. Okay. One last time. Inhale. This time, fill everything in your body, your fingertips and your toes, and exhale. Last in. And exhale. Now, if I had some sort of um, instruments on you, I could probably guarantee that your blood pressure has dropped probably by 10 points or so, that your respirations are slower, that um, your limbic system is less engaged. That is a really good way to just get your body calm. It's also a great way to just set thoughts aside for a minute. There are a number of mindfulness exercises that you can do. Um, the internet has lots of them. But that what they really are is focusing on sensory input. What are the things that you can take in and focus on, pay attention to, to just give your brain a little Sabbath, the, the mind part of your brain a little Sabbath. Because those are the things that are all over the place yeah. that are intangible, but are the things that are swimming around and causing us to be able to lose our focus and all of that. Yeah. It's good. We actually did it, and she did it for me in the office, because it's always one of those things where I just feel a little bit silly. Do you feel a little bit silly sometimes doing things like that? You're like paying attention to your breathing. Actually, when I had an Apple Watch for three weeks, it would tell me to do that. But I have to say, the, the truth of it was, is it, is it was helpful, and it worked. Even, the, even if I just did the breathing part, I was surprised at how much um, I could just, I could go again. Like I had enough of a break to do that. 
Our bodies, how we feel, affect our thoughts and affect our emotions, affect our behaviors. Right, they're all sort of all intertwined and we're we can't... Not, we, we can dispel the Gnostic heresy that our bodies and souls are united. Yeah. So I know that there were other first century heresies that you were worried about. Well, I was worried about a lot of them, but I'm glad you only brought the one in. Um, but I'm, I'm thankful for, for this, that we, that we could talk for a really long time. We did in the office, and so I feel like I, I, got the, I hit the parts that were going to be really important for me. Is there anything else that you, you felt was, like you were burning? I was going to ask if there was something no. you wanted me to is there any, do you have any questions? Jody's a great resource, um, and we'll try to. Um, we talked about. I know uh, what I putting our stuff say. on. Yeah, go ahead. Therapy. Therapy is a really good idea. <laughs> yes, if it is. You, if you uh, struggle with um, kind of obsessive thoughts, if you have a hard time putting down the rope, if you have a hard time diffusing from your thoughts, therapy is a great place to go. Um, there are people who can uh, stand with you while you do it, can help you identify things. Uh, they don't work miracles, but they are often witness to miracles. So I um, encourage you to find a good therapist if you think that would be helpful. It's true. I think, uh, thank you for saying that because we've kind of talked about how important it is for, is for us to continue to sort of dispel um, any, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Stigma. Stigma. Thank you. Uh, especially in the church, right? And, and prayer is good. And I encourage you to pray and to, to seek God in those things and find hope in scripture and those are good, and therapy's good, and you, you have an arsenal of things um, that can pour into our, um, into our overall uh, mental health, and those are all good things, and so uh, I just want to say that out loud, and um, Jody's a great resource for people that she can connect you with. Uh, we're going to try to put some stuff um, on our website, some links um, to some of the stuff that um, Jody's mentioned, and, and just try to have some resources, because the internet's full of stuff, and I know that you can search, but it'd be great for us to maybe compile some of those things that we feel like are really going to be good for you. So I hope you found this helpful. I really appreciate you and the way that you um, just continue to have a heart for this um, and the way that you kind of are pulling in those things as you uh, do your work with Love, Inc. So that's pretty cool. Um, but before we go, I just want to just close us in, in prayer today. Let's pray. Father God, you are amazing. You created us so specifically and intricately um, that there are whole degrees. I'm just thinking about um, and, and finding out how uh, our brains work. And so uh, I'm grateful today for, for Jody and the ways that you've, um, the way that you've blessed her and equipped her, um, the studying that she's done, the experiences that she had that helps us sort of think about uh, who we are and how our minds work. Um, God, we spend so much time feeling shameful about things, about the thoughts and feelings that we have that aren't good or things that we've done or the, or the pain that we've caused or the pain that we're feeling. Um, and God, you, you ask us to not stay in there, but to surrender those things, uh, to give them to you, that you will take them, that you will take them on, that you'll take their burden and you'll, you'll take them off of us. And so I just pray that we can live into that. We can live into that by... Um, by plugging ourselves into you, by, by experiencing your power through your word, uh, through prayer, through coming together um, in worship, uh, through finding ourselves a good therapist, um, for just continuing to, to talk about these things, God. We just know that you've called us to surrender. And so help us to let some of those things go that fight for control over our lives uh, and our thoughts and our behaviors, God. We know that you are in control of all things and that you can search us and know us, and that you can fill us and, and, and make us more like you. Um, so God, I just pray for, for people in this room right now that 
um, that are that are struggling, that are hurting, that are looking um, looking for a way uh, to be able to surrender. And so, God, I just pray that the things that were said today will be will be useful, they'll be helpful, but that you also just send the power of your Holy Spirit um, to soften hearts and to change lives. Um, God, we thank you for who you are, for the ways that you created us to be. Um, help us to lean into all that you are. In Jesus' name we pray and we believe. Amen.